You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 563 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Monday evening. Um, some NBA basketball is on right now. Playoffs. It was not a great early game between the Nets and the Sixers. At least, at least the second half wasn't entirely exciting for Nets fans. But in the midst of all that, we're talking about the Atlanta Hawks today. And joining me on the podcast, first time in a while, but a very frequent guest, Jeff Siegel. What's up, man? I'm uh, I'm not doing very well today. Struggling. I, I usually say I'm doing well. How are you? And today's not. Today has been a bit of a struggle. I had to go to a doctor and get a shot at my elbow. Now my elbow really hurts. And so we're, we're power. We're, I'm playing hurt today, like Joel Embiid. And hopefully I can be as effective <laughs> as he was. Yeah. Listen, Embiid, Embiid kind of went crazy in the third quarter. So maybe you'll have your late spurt in the middle of this podcast and we'll, uh, we'll turn it up. But no, uh, thanks in advance to Jeff for joining me on and playing hurt. This is going to be a three part podcast. We're not going to record it all at one time, but we're going to do three, semi-deep dives into some players, basically like a season in review series um, in three different parts. We decided originally, just look behind the curtain here, originally we were going to talk about big men on one podcast, wings on another, and then point guards on another, and then you realize that there are only two point guards. So that kind of makes it a little bit a little bit lopsided. I know there's a lot to talk about with Trey Youngs, but I, I don't want to have basically an entire Trey Young podcast. So we split it up in a different way, got a little bit creative, and uh, the three podcasts are going to be the old guys, is the way that I'm going to describe this podcast, which is Vince Carter, Miles Plumley, Kent Bazemore, and Dwayne Dedman. Then you have the young veterans, which is basically everyone that's not a rookie other than those guys, John Collins, Torian Prince, DeAndre Membry, Alex Len, Justin Anderson, and Alex Poitras, Jeff's favorite player in the NBA. And then the rookies at the end, Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Amari Spellman, and Jalen Adams. So that's just a, uh, a preview of what's to come. This this podcast you're listening to right now will be the old guy podcast. And uh, th- that may not sound terribly sexy, but when you realize that Bazemore and Deadman are very interesting and Vince is a fan favorite, there's a lot to talk, to talk about here. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's it's a little bit of a disservice to Bazemore and, and Deadman to, to lump them in with the old guys. They're and not Plumley that old. Too. I mean, he's not that old either. <laughs> Nobody's that old. If we really... Vince just sort of skews the average age up so much of this group, but uh, these guys are the old guys really because everybody else is 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 so is is, is just as young as as can be with this team sort of in the middle of a rebuild. Yeah, I mean it's sort of a the differentiator is whether you've been in the league for like more than four or five years. Everybody else does not fit that category other than these four guys. And I tweeted this out earlier today. Actually, it's kind of fitting for this podcast. Um, you can probably figure out my age by this, but. Um, I am at least two years older than everyone on the Atlanta Hawks, except for Vince Carter. But Vince is nine and a half years older than I am. So he is, that, that, he is that tells you uh, how much older Vince is than everybody else on this uh, on this team. And we'll talk about Vince second, just as a look ahead. But first, we're going to start with Miles Plumley, the very, very exciting part of this podcast. Um, but he, he, he does matter because Miles is going to be on the roster next year, barring some big-time surprise. Um, because he's going to be owed $12.5 million. So we'll, we'll save that for the end. Let's talk about the player here for a second. His season was cut short um, by injury. He only played 18 games, 173 minutes. Plumlee has been sort of a punchline for Hawks fans since he was acquired from Charlotte because he was you know part of the Dwight Howard trade and never really expected to make a huge impact on the court. But when he plays, he's not like 
He doesn't look. It's not like it's not as if he's not an NBA player. Like he's 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 a better player than guys like Deontay Davis and Isaac Humphries. He's not on that level. He's he can be useful when he is available. He just hasn't been available very much. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's pretty much the story of his of his career so far. Is uh, his career in Atlanta so far at least because he just can't you know especially this year just couldn't shake the the knee and and it just sort of spiraled out of control for him and and he pretty much lost the the entire season when he was out there. He's fine i mean he's like you said he's a serviceable you know fourth or fifth big man on a on a on a decent team and he can be somebody who you know can come in get you offensive rebounds be really athletic you know how athletic he is after the you know after the knee injury is going to be you know uh, something to to watch with him but you know he's athletic he's big he's relatively strong i mean he's just sort of you know, a, a run-of-the-mill big guy in terms of a rim runner. He doesn't have, doesn't bring anything else to the table. Like, doesn't have other sort of ancillary skills. Is not a creator. Cannot really, you know, you're not throwing the ball to him to to score. He can't shoot. Like, there are certainly, you know, big weaknesses in his game that make him one of these guys who's more on the the end of your bench, even when healthy. But you know, he did. Uh, you know, losing the the entire season is is super unfortunate for him, obviously. Yeah, he has not played since December 31st, and the you know the Hawks updated a few different times and finally just shut him down, basically. He was pretty optimistic at excellent interviews about his uh, recovery time, looking ahead to the summer and kind of being ready to go you know, sooner rather than later in terms of just having a full offseason. He even made a comment about um, looking for more playing time next year and sort of, sort of earning that. You know, that, the, the jury's out on that, I will say. But, you know, as we kind of allude to, like, I think he's a perfectly fine third center. Like he's an emergency guy where he wouldn't be in your rotation more often than not. But if he's healthy, you said it earlier, people don't really realize that he's a really good athlete. That's kind of his best trait, which is kind of weird. If you just saw him warming up or didn't, you know, kind of just assumed big, stiff white guy, you might not think he's a great athlete. But if you watch him for any length of time, he's very athletic, Um, good good offensive rebounder, does, you know, does some things well isn't very skilled necessarily as a perimeter guy. Like he gets, he gets lost in space, in space on defense. Like he really struggles in some certain areas too, but you know, breaking class, breaking case of emergency kind of guy, you know, he can be useful. Um, obviously the big looming thing is his contract. Um, everyone knew the downside when they traded Dwight Howard for Miles Plumlee essentially. And that's that Plumlee's contract went, ran a year longer than Dwight's did. Um, I would do that deal hundred times out of a hundred based on the way that things have gone since then. Um, I said that at the time, just cause just to get Dwight off the roster was very useful, but still this is where it comes to roost. Cause 12 and a half million dollars for next year. Everyone knows that's a terrible contract. And as a result of that, you know, he'll probably be on the team. Uh, somebody asked me this the other day, and I, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway, about, about the Hawks stretching him. That would be a bad idea in my opinion, but since you are the cap expert, I'm going to ask you about uh, that that possibility and what the Hawks might do, because that's a question I get a lot, and you might get a lot as well, is like, why can't they just get rid of Plumlee? And it's like, well, because it probably costs too much to actually pull off. Yeah, I mean, certainly you would never... There's very little chance that they would even be able to trade him, and then based on where they are in their rebuild cycle, there's no way they're going to give up assets to get rid of him. So the trade is off the table, really. Um, and then, you know, stretching him, the only reason you would ever stretch him is if you really needed that last about $8 million in cap space. You know, if something went haywire and all of a sudden they've got, you know, for, they've got about $43 million in cap space going into the summer, a lot of that will depend on where their draft picks come in if the Dallas pick comes in. But assuming the Dallas pick comes in, uh, you know, relatively in the seven, eight, nine range, their pick is in the the four, five, six range. 
They're going to have about 43, you know, 42, 43 million in cap space. If something goes, hor- you know, not horribly, but if something goes much better than they would have ever anticipated, if all of a sudden $30 million, $35 million is going to a max free agent, then maybe they do need that last $8 million to sign somebody who's who can really, you know, impact their team right now. And that's what stretching him would do. Stretching him now would take about eight roughly a little bit more than $8 million off off of their, their team salary for this year and put it on the next two years. So he would only count for about $4 million instead of twelve. And so the only reason they would do that if they, is if they really needed that last $8 million to sign somebody big, and that would be because they already signed somebody huge, you know, <laughs> yeah. a Kevin Durant type of, of signing, then all of a sudden that last $8 million would really matter. But in a in a logical, reasonable world, that that's not happening. So the 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 best course of action would be either to keep him on the team, or if you really need that roster spot, just cut him and take the whole twelve million dollar hit, twelve and a half million dollar hit in uh, in twenty nineteen twenty. Yeah, and I mean, you lay it out there as like the the scenario does exist where they would need to do that, stretch him, or you know, pay somebody via assets to trade him away. But I think you know. A lot more often than not, he'll be on the roster until he's not. <laughs> and, um, I mean, the buyout scenario, I know people have already asked me about that as well. Plumlee has no reason to take a buyout. It's not. This is not a guy who's going to be able to go somewhere else and, like, immediately demand playing time and more money somewhere else. It's not like Jeremy Lin, who we knew was going to sign somewhere else. Um, Plumlee, Plumlee is not a player that profiles as a buyout guy. Um, maybe if you give him all of his money, he would be willing to t- go away. Um, but if you want to like try to extract some assets, I mean, some uh, some money from him, he has no reason to give it, give anything back because the uh, the future earnings stuff is not really there for Miles Plumlee. So I think the most likely scenario, at least until February, is Plumlee on the roster. And you know, you could be it, it could be worse. It's not a great it's not a great situation in the world, but he's a good locker room guy. Everybody seems to like Miles Plumley. He's not like a bad influence in the locker room. He can help you when healthy. And you know, as a as a fifteenth man kind of guy, it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, it's really at this point, if you think of of Plumley as sort of the the cost of taking on or getting rid of Dwight Howard, like you said, that's what it was. Then <laughs> you know, that's fine. Like it's fine. You know, it's it doesn't it's not great only because like. The re- you know the the course of action that I wanted from them with the Dwight thing was as soon as Schlenk came in and as soon as they were going to pivot to a rebuild, if you're going to do this trade, just send Dwight home for two years and just give him his money, but don't have him yeah, on the team. I mean, we talked That's about tough, that. Yeah, it would have been can't a do um... that from a Fremont PR perspective. <laughs> right. So they had to make this kind of deal, and now and and then Dwight, you know, sort of ended up getting bought out and is is with the Wizards. You could have, you know, maybe sat him down the entire year. And then bought him out the next year, just like you know, like Brooklyn did after the after a couple of trades. It's not good optics for for your team. It's not good optics, you know, for the fans, for the media, for other players who who might want to sign with your team. That one year into their contract, they might get sat down for a whole year. You know, there are reasons to to not to do it. But this is this was the the next reasonable. This was the the most reasonable option, assuming you couldn't just sit you know sit right out for for an entire year. You take on Plumley. This is the cost of, of doing business for for that trade, and you know it's it's not it's not like a a Timothy Mozgov situation where he's making sixteen million and literally can't give you anything even when he's fully healthy. Plumley, at least when he's fully healthy, is worth a minimum contract. He's a fifteenth guy, a, you know, a third center, fifteenth guy, break in case of emergency. You know, can do some stuff on the floor. If he's out there, you're not 
as you know, you're you're not panicking like, oh, this is like you were panicking when Isaac Humphreys was out there because he's just not an NBA player. <laughs> All you know, due like respect it, to Isaac Humphreys, but yes, sure. Which great. is great that you know it was great that he got a contract and it's great that he got to play a little bit. But like it, Plumlee is in another class from from a guy like Humphreys or even really a guy like Deontay Davis. Yep, that's that's true. And we can leave we can leave Plumlee now. I just wanted to at least lay that out there because we get a lot of questions about it um, on Twitter and otherwise. And Plumlee will be a guy who will probably be, be around, so I wanted to talk about him a little bit. And if he's playing next year, we'll talk even more about him. But until then, that's probably where we can leave it on Miles. Um, let's transition into Vince Carter because Vince is uh, interesting in that he's already announced effectively that he'll be uh, trying to play next year. Of course, he's not under contract with the Hawks. But that's sort of a looming thing, and the big question is whether he'll be back next year. But you know, looking in reverse at what Vince was able to bring, he was better than I think you and I thought he was going to be coming into the year. He played a lot more for sure than, than at least I thought he was going to play this year. And you know, his transition from high flying wing to veteran dead eye shooting power forward has been kind of crazy. He did he actually corrected me a little bit. I actually asked him about playing power forward full time. He referenced he basically played power forward full time in Sacramento as well, but this was a more prominent situation where he was really like the backup power forward all season long. And, you know, it's been interesting. He's now attempting like almost seventy percent of his shots from three. He's just a specialist now, but he also does a lot of other things well. So if I was to ask you to describe Vince's performance this season on the court, taking all the other stuff out of it for now, we'll come back to that in a second. What would you say about Vince? I mean, for me, from what my expectations were at the beginning of the year, and you can go back and listen to the the Locked On Hawks and, and the we talked the, about the, <laughs> and, and the and the writing that I did before the season. I literally expected him basically to play like. 400 minutes this season like not even be a consistent part of the rotation be a, a the 14th man to Plumlee's 15th man like I really thought that he was basically going to be another assistant coach that they just sort of had as a bridge from the coaching from a first year coaching staff to a young team that that Carter could sort of be that bridge and he was that bridge but also was everything else that he was last season and so like I really it was crazy to me that he at the beginning, it made sense, like, okay, they had to throw him out there because Collins and Deadman were both hurt. So it was like, okay, give him some minutes, let him get acclimated with the team, let the the young guys see what he can do. And then once the once everybody's healthy again, Carter will just sort of fade out of the rotation. And he just never faded. He was not, and it wasn't based on anything other than like he was actually like legitimately good for them. He was not he was not harmful for them in, in for large stretches of the season and was was a, a consistent part of the rotation throughout and you know was a, a knockdown shooter. If you ask pretty much anybody within the organization, he's the team's best shooter, like in practice and stuff and shooting drills. He's better than Trey and better than Kevin, and he's just better than everybody as as a shooter and in practice. And he, you know, he's transitioned into that role of just a an absolute dead eye shooter from outside. And you know, it's. He's able to to hold up well enough defensively. Like everything, everything that I thought was never like wasn't even possible for him. He was able to to accomplish really. Yeah, and that's something that you and I talked about a lot early in the year was that he was struggling on defense. And I, and I do think him, he's even acknowledged. I think Lloyd Pierce acknowledged it as well that Vince had to kind of adjust a little bit defensively. He turned it on a little bit as the season went along to the point where it's not a strength of his at this point. Let's just say that, but. You know, we kind of worried that he'd be unplayable defensively early in the year, and that did not turn out to be the case. He is not, again, not a strength there, but he holds up in most matchups. He's pretty versatile. You know, they even asked him to play some some three 
in the middle of the year when they had a bunch of injuries, and he he did okay on that as well. It wouldn't be like a long-term thing. He even kind of laughed and said at X interviews that he wanted to play more three, and Lloyd kept putting him at the four. They had like a back and forth, like a friendly kind of laughing back and forth about it because Vince still thinks highly of himself and thinks he could play the three more often. And I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the way he shoots it, but they needed, they needed a four to be sure on this team. He did not lead the team in three-point percentage. He actually fell one shot short of Torian Prince. It's kind of funny. Prince and Carter both made 123 threes on the season, and Carter had one more attempt than than Prince. So Prince wins the three-point shooting battle by .01%, which is kind of funny. But Carter, as you referenced, everyone, say, everyone says that he's their best shooter. Obviously, Kevin Herter is probably going to be that in a couple of years, and he's already, he's already a really good shooter. But Vince is just such a ridiculous shooter at this point that uh, that is worth pointing out. But, you know, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about Vince because it's kind of like he is what he is. There's not too much growth potential, obviously, for a 42-year-old. But um, looking ahead a little bit, and we'll come back to this later, of course, in the offseason, but you know, if Vince wanted to come back for a one-year minimum with Atlanta, would you be interested in that if you were Travis Schlenk? Yeah, I mean, especially if you can get that, you know, if you can get that sort of knocked out early in the process and you might as well, you know, hold him, hold him to, you know, another contract because even if you if something happened and you needed that 15th spot on a minimum contract, it's not a big deal to give him his money and, and he can find another home. If, especially if you find out, you know, in mid August that you need that spot back, it's, it's almost a, it's almost a situation where you can give him that money. And, and that if you sign him to a fully guaranteed deal, which at this point they would, it can be sort of a goodwill thing of like, we're happy with how you performed last season. We're going to give you this contract earlier in the process. If we need it back, if we need that roster spot back, then we're going to give you all your money and we'll do it at an early enough point where you can catch on elsewhere so that you can still play out to your, your, your last year. Well, maybe your last season, who knows yeah, how many not. seasons he's got left. He referenced having two or three years left in his exit interviews. And I mean, at this point you can't really doubt him. He's it's possible that he's you know going to be out there for, you know, into his 43, you know, age 43, age of 44 seasons. Cause you know, at this point there's no, there was no slowdown this year from, from the previous two. So, you know, it's, it's hard to, to see where he might, uh, you know, where he's going to retire at the end of next year. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to assign, you know, it's kind of tough right now with, with the Hawks being that, that they might have five draft picks. I can't imagine that they're actually going to sign five rookies, but in the same breath, you have to be able to have the roster spot. So most of this roster comes back. They have some free agents that they're probably going to lose at some point here. But Vince, you know, no one no one should be surprised if the Hawks signed Vince to a one-year minimum contract. He seems to like it here. Him and Lloyd Pierce have a great relationship. You know, it's not a future-facing move. And that's one of the things that we kind of had our eyebrows raised about um, over last summer was, like, why would you use this roster, roster spot in the middle of a rebuild on this guy? And then you see what happens, and it was a prescient use of that roster spot considering all the mentoring that he did in addition to being a useful player. And everyone pointed this out during the season. Vince Vince believes this as well, and so does Lloyd. It really helps when a guy can still play because guys will listen to that guy more. There's something to be said for the assistant coach factor and having that guy around like your Kendrick Perkins type that just can't play anymore, but everybody loves him. But it's just different when the guy can still play and can still help your team. It's almost like rookies and young guys want to listen to that guy even more. And, you know, of course, Vince is a future Hall of Famer. It's not like he's a uh, also-ran you know, veteran. He already commands that respect, and it's almost doubled that he can still play. So there's really a lot of reason to think he might be back. 
both sides, I think, have, been, have at least expressed public interest. You know, Lloyd, Travis Schlank is the decision maker, but I think if you ask Lloyd Pierce, he would say, sure, bring bring Vince back. Everybody loves Vince, and I can't express to you that enough. You know, Vince had the weird exit in Toronto a long, long time ago, but now he is universally beloved. I can't, I've never heard anyone say a negative thing about Vince since he got to Atlanta, so that's worth saying repeat and repeating again. It's not, it's not fake. It's not an act thing. Everyone loves Vince Carter. Yeah, and it's it's the the off the court stuff is what I thought was going to be more important. It seems like it sort of has been, but it's been boosted, like you said, by the fact that he still can play. He can get out there and and coach Trey Young and coach Kevin Herter literally from the floor as he's you know as he's holding up on his end of the bargain. He can sort of help them, and they have to they have to respect that because he's the one out there you know going to war with those guys. And so I think that's the. That's the added element that Vince is bringing to the table, like you said, over a guy, you know, like a, a Kendrick Perkins or Nick Collison. You know, those guys who were at the end of their career were great guys, were beloved in the locker room, but weren't bringing anything to, to the table on the floor. Yep. And uh, we'll see what, what the future looks like for Vince. But at the very least, I think someone will sign him. It may not be the Hawks. I think if I, if I had to bet right now, I would probably bet on Vince playing next year for the Hawks. That's just my guess. That's not sourced. But I think, you know, given that he wants to play, as long as he's still healthy and ready to go, someone's going to sign him because he was that good this year. He's, he, could really, he could really help. Honestly, he could help a lot of playoff teams right now. <laughs> like, Philly could, could really use Vince Carter at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there are, uh, there are probably a half dozen playoff teams who would be very happy to have, like, a shooter who can at least sort of hold up pretty well like, at the four defensively. Like, he's, you know, especially in short bursts, he's been really solid defensively in in, in – matchups you would not expect him to be like he i was in the building in november when he and and lebron james went toe to toe at the at the end of the game there and obviously the the hawks lost but like vince carter was really good defending lebron james for like a three minute stretch to close that game and that sort of stuck with me like oh this guy is not this guy can still play like he is not he's not the the assistant coach that i thought he was going to be he's really out there and he really can you know help help any team win but especially the uh the hawks this year yeah if you combine you can you combine that shooting with the ability to turn it up a little bit on the other end of the floor and the leadership and the, and the teammate stuff you have a pretty intriguing package for a reserve player for someone this year or next and uh, we'll see what happens with vince that's probably enough on him for now, I do want to, before we get to the last two guys, uh, take a moment to tell you guys to, to subscribe to this podcast. The, the, I know if you don't like me necessarily, you probably won't love this podcast, but Jeff's on it all the time. We have good guests across the board, hopefully, and uh, please subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Overcast, Himalaya, all those places. And we'll be back again in just one second with more from Jeff Siegel. All right, man, we're back. And... um. Two guys to go. We will go with Kent Bazemore next because we know we know he's going to be on the team. We'll save Dwayne Devin for the end because I know you have thoughts having just written about Dwayne Devin. Um, Bazemore's intriguing, man. I've always been pro Kent Bazemore. He was not great on the overall sense this year. And, of course, the looming $19.27 million player option that he already is going to be reportedly opting into. No surprises there. We'll save the contract stuff for the end, but let's talk about his play this year. It was um, – Hot and cold for Kent. It wasn't great all in an overall sense. He was much better before the injury than he was after the injury. And I think even he acknowledged that he wasn't necessarily fully healthy and didn't have all this, all of his explosion back post-injury. And that might have contributed to it. But as we stand here, you know, in mid-April, how do you feel about Kent Bazemore, the player, taking the contract out of it? Taking the contract out of it, he's still a, a solid role player, somebody who can, who can bring... A, a sort of tertiary creation element to your team. He's he's never really been 
you know, he's not going to be a secondary creator for you. I don't think he had a, he flirted with that a little bit uh, the year before last, but is is more of a, a tertiary guy. And and just because of the the turnovers have been you know a problem for him since you know forever basically. And so he think he he's fits in with the with the team nicely in terms of you know being somebody who can defend one through three, can knock down a shot when you know when he's fully healthy, can come out of the uh, out of the right corner on dribble handoffs to his left hand and can do some things in 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 the paint. And so I think he's he's got enough sort of overall skill to you know warrant being a a strong rotation piece on pretty much any team. And I think he people get hung up on the fact that he doesn't have like an elite skill and he's, and he sort of sometimes is pushed out of his comfort zone offensively. But, you know, he's, he's one of those guys who probably makes more sense for a playoff team than for a, a rebuilding team in that, you know, a, a big thing that we've been, we've seen through, you know, two and a half days of, of the playoffs is that the, the, the difference between regular season guys who have elite skills in certain areas and are very weak in others those guys sort of give way to the guys who are, who have no weaknesses and who might not be particularly highly skilled in one area, but won't kill you in any area. And those guys are, are much more valuable in a, you know, for a, a potential playoff team, which of course this team was when they signed that contract. And of course, you know, things have, have gone off the rails in the last couple of years for them, you know, on purpose, but still they've, they haven't, uh, they haven't been in the playoffs in a couple of years and, you know, they don't look to be a, a playoff contender. Obviously we can't say that until the draft and free agency pass to, to see whether the Hawks can sneak up into the seven, eight conversation, but they're not going to be a, a high end contender next year unless things go incredibly right for them. So I think Bazemore has more value to another team, you know, and as we get back into the, the contract thing, that's going to be enticing for playoff teams going into the 2020 playoffs, you know, and, and coming down the stretch in January, February toward the trade deadline. He's going to be an interesting piece for somebody who needs a wing who won't screw up and doesn't have any, you know, horribly large weaknesses that you have to you know, plan for. Yeah, I mean, I think he's relying on athleticism to the point where he's a little bit scary as he ages to some degree. But, you know, I think some of it could be blamed on the ankle this year. And the swing skill for Kent's always been his jump shot. You know, last year he shot 39% from three. And as a result of that, had his best year of his career. This year it dipped down to 32%. And he had his worst year in Atlanta probably, in my opinion. So it's just one of those things, man. I'm, I mean... I agree with you overall. Like he would help a lot of teams. I've this is one of my lines that I've been using all season long about Bazemore is that I think he'd be, he'd be in a rotation for, you know, almost every team in the league, if not every team in the league, as a bench wing. Um, and I think he's better than that on on a lot of teams as well. You know, the contract we could bring that back into it now. He's obviously overpaid. No one would, no one would say otherwise. I said this a little bit on, earlier, I guess last week on the podcast about the player option. We all know he's overpaid. The deal wasn't a great one. No one loved it at the time, and then it became, um, I will say, it's not as bad as a lot of deals were in 2016. So if you want to take a bright spot, I would point that out. There were many, many worse deals signed that summer than Kent Bazemore. But um, $19 million is an overpay. So same sort of question that I had for you about Plumlee. What is the best way to move forward if you're the Hawks now? You know, Bazemore is a lot more tradable, even though he's more expensive because he just is much better. But obviously negative value so how do you weigh that as if you're the hawks front office like what's what's his value to the hawks versus the value of the market and what how do you sort of handle that between now and july and then even even into the season next year yeah i mean i think he's he's somebody who you know they they probably will have on the roster going into into next season but by the deadline i would i would expect him 
more than be you know it, it would be more than 50-50 that he would be moved by the by the deadline. I think he's just he's somebody who can help so many other teams that as they you know come down the stretch of of a of another season in his last season as he goes into an expiring contract they can there there's going to be somebody out there who thinks of him as a a solid sixth or seventh man on their on their you know title contending team and needs a little bit more depth and and is willing to to move some salary to make that work and I think the Hawks should be willing to take on that salary you know again assuming that they're in a a, the third year of a normal rebuilding process and they're not accelerating that rebuild with any free agency signings or anything like that. You know, assuming they're at the bottom of the, you know, near the bottom of the standings again, Bazemore should be on, you know, on the open market and, and, a, and a playoff team should, you know, be able to, to swoop in and, and, you know, pick him up for, you know, they're going to be, whether he has to, you know, how he is valued is going to be interesting. Like you said, he's overpaid, but not by as much as people think. Like if he's a sixth or seventh man on a title contending team, like he's probably worth 10 to $12 million on next year's contract. And out of 19.3, that's still an overpay, but it's not, uh, it's not like so bad that you, you know, you can't have him on your, on your books. It's something where if a team wants him, then they and they have some bad money that they would like to get rid of. I think that's the that's the way that this gets done. Is if they have, you know, it's it's similar, but not as grand a scale as the Dwight Howard Plumley thing. The the Hawks can can dump not dump but can trade Kent Bazemore for somebody who whose contract goes longer than Bays than Bazes does, and then you know that that team can sort of benefit from the last the last season of Bazemore's contract without having to necessarily keep uh, keep uh, a a worse player for for longer than uh, than Bazemore's already on yeah and that's it's key to just keep everything in perspective of where the Hawks are you don't want to pay assets to get rid of Kent Bazemore that doesn't make a lot of sense it's not it's sort of the same prism as Plumlee it's a different situation but it's also similar in the fact that anything that would cost the Hawks in the future does not make sense to trade Kent Bazemore or to get off that salary unless you need the money and I can't imagine they do Frankly, because they already have so much cap space, it'd be different if the if the Hawks were maxed out and they had no and they had no space. Maybe there'd be an argument for it, but when you already have you know thirty plus million in projected space, you don't need the nineteen million necessarily. Um, maybe by the deadline you find a team if, if Kent's playing well, maybe, maybe find a team that wants to pay you market value for Kent Bazemore, and that's not out of the question. Like he's clearly overpaid, but when you factor in that it's, that it's an expiring deal. You know the values get a little bit wonky, and you maybe find a team that just needs a wing and doesn't want to commit to long-term salary, and might just like the fact that he's an overpaid guy on a uh, on a cheap on a I guess a an expiring contract. So, a lot of fluidity there. I I do think that he can help the Hawks. You know he's not a he's another guy like Vince Carter who everybody loves. You know Kent is, you know was the leader of the team last year. I think that was definitely Vince this time around. But if you had to find a number two, it probably is Kent Bazemore in terms of guys that people go to. Um, and sort of, you know, he's always ready to talk and lead and do that kind of stuff. So, very valuable piece to the locker room. On the court, he could help you. I mean, he's, he doesn't need to start anymore. I think he, um, he even he seated almost like 
I'm not sure if it was his decision necessarily, but there were some rumblings from from Lloyd Pierce even in season that Kent kind of went to the coaching staff and said, you know, bring me off the bench kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure I'm, I wasn't there when all that happened, but he ceded to Kevin Herter, and that's that's a wise choice and didn't make a, didn't make a big production out of that, despite the fact that he's making 18 million dollars a year. But I think next year it'd be a pretty big surprise if he was starting again. So you have this 19 million dollar third fourth wing. It's not great for a rebuilding team, but given everything else that he brings to the table, it's just fine and sort of bring this full circle bring this full circle you don't want to give up anything for the future to part ways with Kent Bazemore that's kind of the biggest thing for me yeah I mean it's the same thing as as the Plumlee contract is if you I mean the Plumlee is is untenable at that at that number Bazemore is tenable at that number if you find a deal where a team is willing to give you something of value for him then you probably want to take that deal but if that's not out there then write it out and and thank him for a service and he'll he'll probably walk in 2020 to a team that you know makes sense for for his skill set and given what he can bring to the table there's no there's certainly no reason even if the from a value perspective it might make sense to part with a couple of second round picks to get rid of of Bazemore's salary just in a in a in a in a vacuum for for where the Hawks are, that makes absolutely no sense. No, it does not. So with all that said, um, there is a, I would say, a, a vocal minority that really doesn't want Kent on the on the roster anymore. You probably are not going to get your wish, I would imagine. I think if I was guessing, Baysmore would certainly be on the roster if I had to project right now um, for next year. That could certainly change. Um, I think he's... You know, of the two, I think Bazemore is a lot easier to trade and by proxy um, more likely to be traded than, than Miles Plumley. But that isn't exactly a high bar to clear. <laughs> so I think Bazemore, um, more likely than not, will be on the team. And he's useful in a lot of ways. Uh, anything else on Kent before we move on to the finale of Dwayne Devin? I mean, just on, on Bazemore versus Plumley, like there's even just comparing their tradeability. The Plumley has zero trade value. Nobody is, is giving up anything of, of any value for him and the Hawks aren't going to use future assets to get off of that contract. Same as Bazemore, but Bazemore has a lot of, of positive value for the right team. And it's just going to take, you know, one of those teams trying to figure out how much, you know, how much do they need a, a third or fourth wing on their, on their title contending team. And if they're willing to, to pay the difference of, of his salary versus somebody else's, then I think they're, they're going to you know be able to, to strike a deal with Atlanta. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And again, the way to the way to deal him, if you are dead set on doing that, is if you find a team that's willing to pay semi market value, because you can probably talk yourself into it. Like, you know, if if Basemore hit the here's the last question I'll ask you: If Basemore hit the market, and this is not realistic, but if you if he had to sign a one year deal, had to, if that was the only way you could sign Kent Basemore, what would he be worth? One a one year deal. You know exactly what he is. You know you know what age he is. You know it's a one year contract. It's less than nineteen million, but how much less? It's probably like in the ten to twelve range. Yeah, I was gonna probably say probably closer to ten. Yeah, um, but it's 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 right in there. It's right in the 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 low teens as somebody who can bring you, you know, can can be a very very solid bench piece. And like I was talking about with the playoffs, if you you would sign him for a contender for somebody who is looking to play in the conference finals and the finals. That's, that's where he's going to shine more than in the regular season in the day-to-day grind of the regular season. His 
non-elite skill set is not as valuable as it is when you get down to the conference finals. And you can have that guy on the floor for any team. And you can you don't have to worry about him getting beat defensively. And you don't have to worry about him killing you offensively. He is somebody who is more of a 16-game player than an 82-game player because of his lack of weaknesses. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, again, he can help pretty much any team. And we'll talk about him more and more, more and more as we get down to the end um, of the offseason and into the, I guess, beginning of the next season. Okay, last but not least here, Dwayne Dedman, who you wrote about. You have the We have our player review series coming out on Peachtree Hoops. And uh, Dedman was one of the first couple that we did, and I was intrigued by that. And I want, I want, I want you to plug that. We're going to get some of that stuff away now, so my apologies to you, I guess. But um, Dedman is really intriguing because he's a free agent. And he was really good this year. But he's at an age where it isn't a slam dunk that you want to re-sign him. But on the flip side, he doesn't have a ton of miles on the tires. There's lots of uh, competing factors. And I guess it all centers on the fact that Deadman was so good and so valuable that, you know, all things equal, you kind of want him back. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't get a lot of, of national publicity. But this was the best year of his career by a mile. And he just continues to improve. And it's something that it's something that I've talked about and written about elsewhere. But it's it's... The, the idea of veteran improvement, the idea of getting better from your 27 to 28, 28, 29, 30-year-old seasons, you can – there are guys who can get better throughout those seasons. Kent Bazemore, that we, you know, who's, who we just talked about, became more of a creator in, in 2017-18. And then, of course, in 2018-19, they had Trey Young. They have Kevin Herter. Torian Prince took a little bit more of that role as well. So he sort of took a step back in that in that way. But he added – a creation element to his game, just like Dwayne Dedman over the last two years has added a three point shot and continued to be, you know, a pretty solid defender as well. And so, you know, he can bring, he's another one of those guys who might be better as like a 16 game player than a, than an 82 game player. And that he can, he can bring a lot of, of floor spacing and, and solid shooting from outside. And he's a, a pretty solid, you know, not unbelievably great defender, but is a, a really solid defender in, in at the at the center position. Can play a little bit of four too if you really need him to. And so, you know, I think he's he's somebody who should have a lot of value to to playoff teams this uh, this you know this coming off season. Yeah, Devin's such a he's, a he's a guy that I wish was in the playoffs right now. Like just as a as someone who covers the league and looks big picture, I, I just he'd be so helpful to so many of these teams um, as this like. Super modern big man, and you know, two years ago, no one would have said that about Deadman. He was a you know, an interesting player back then, but now with the way that he shoots it, and the way that he's played overall, like it's tough to ignore how good of a fit he is really anywhere. But he's also a great fit in Atlanta. I mean, that's something that we have to talk about now. His age matters for the future, but just as a player, the way that he fits with John Collins in particular is really helpful. Deadman's not this incredible you know dominant defender, but he's a very solid defensive player who can space the floor on offense, protect the rim on defense, and that's kind of the archetype of what you want next to John Collins. Um, you know, he's not he's not the absolute all star best case scenario of that player, but all things equal, he kind of checks almost all the boxes that you want next to Collins, and that does matter. Yeah, and especially the the version of John Collins that we just saw this season, right. and and that's the biggest thing with Collins in particular, and and how you fit guys around him is where Collins is sort of going, and what is he going to be? Even by the end of next year, he could be drastically different than he was than he is right now. By the end of his rookie contract in in a couple of years, what is he going to look like? And so you know how you build 
how they build around him has a lot more to do with where they see him going in the next couple of years versus where he is right now. And so since we're on the outside and we're not in those player development meetings, we don't really know what they want from him going forward. You know, whether he's, he's going to be more of a, an outside shooter or more of a facilitator from the elbows or more of a, a post up and pick and roll threat. I don't think he's going to be that last one, but depending on where he is on the floor offensively, that changes what you need next to him. Def- uh, or that changes what you need next to him at the at the center position. If he's going to be a center, I think you know the the jury's still technically out on that. Even though I don't, you know, I don't see him making the the defensive strides that are necessary for him to be a center long term. But if he's going to be a center, that changes things too. So you know wh- how Deadman fits in with with Collins at this point because Deadman is so malleable and can do pretty much whatever you want at a pretty you know. He can do whatever you need him to do at a, at a decent enough clip that I think he he could be brought back and I, it wouldn't be it wouldn't shock me if they prioritize bringing him back in free agency because he's such a good fit because he's so versatile and malleable to whatever John Collins is going to grow into over the next year over the next two years if Dwayne Dedman's around Dedman can just sort of slide in and fit in around Collins no matter what uh, what no matter what the young guy becomes. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, again, checks a lot of boxes for Deadman. <sighs> now the interesting part, Jeff, is the future because Deadman will be 30 on August 12th. And that seems old because it kind of is for a rebuilding team, uh, especially as a guy who's hitting free agency and probably needs to get paid because, you know, he's made some decent money the last couple of years. But before that, wasn't making a lot of money. And, you know, in the grand scheme of NBA players, has not made that much money. Um, so... All that to say, how do you weigh his lack of um, court time? Because he's only played. I'm looking it up now as we talk. As I'm, I'm woefully underprepared. He's only played a total of six thousand four hundred twenty-one minutes in, in his NBA career, which is a not a lot for someone who's about to be thirty. Still, he's still almost thirty. He's battled some injury stuff during his time in Atlanta. He's not played more than sixty-five games in either season. Um, obviously, this season ended early for him. How do you weigh all that with his market? Because I think everyone would agree that in a vacuum, if you didn't care about salary, you'd love to have Dwayne Devin back on this roster. But when you are, you have Alex Len for another season, you have the draft coming up, and that could dictate a lot of things as well. How do you approach this if you're the Hawks? And, um, you know, Devin should be trying to get the best deal that he can get on the market, frankly. But if you're the Hawks, do you get into a bidding war? How, how high are you willing to go for someone like Dwayne Debbie? I know it's tough to talk about now before the draft and all that stuff, but we can try. We can sort of try our best here. Yeah, I mean, assuming that they don't take a a high level center prospect in the draft, which it doesn't doesn't that would I think that would be a choice that they could make and with one of those top you know two of those top ten picks. But I don't think that they're that's necessarily something that they should do or should be looking to do. Um, you know, assuming that they still have a hole at the starting center spot going into next season or going into free agency, you know, I don't think Alex Len is that guy. I don't think he can step into a larger role and be the the sort of malleable piece around John Collins and around Trey Young that that Dwayne Dedman was. He doesn't have he doesn't have the the footwork to shoot those to shoot those pick and pop threes. He's not as versatile a defender as, as Deadman is, even if he's might maybe a little bit better protecting the rim than, than Dwayne be just because of his, his sheer size and, and the fact that he can throw his weight around a little bit down low. But I, you know, I think they're going to have a, a starting center, an open starting center spot. And, you know, if they, like you said, if they could get Deadman back on a, on a reasonable deal, I think they'd be happy to do that. The fact that he, 
is going, you know, is going to be 30 this off season, but doesn't have a lot of miles and doesn't just have a lot of, doesn't, he has few miles across the board. It's not just that he doesn't have a lot of NBA miles. He doesn't have a lot of just athletic miles in general because he wasn't just basketball miles in general. He did not play. He played two years in college and maybe played like one or two years before that. And that was it. Like he didn't grow up playing basketball. So he doesn't have a ton of, of basketball miles on his, on his body, which also gets back to what we were, what I was just talking about earlier, which is because he's only been playing basketball. I think this was his 11th year playing basketball in his life. He has room to, to grow. Like he's, you know, this is, if he was, if he was playing his 11th year of basketball, just as a human being on planet earth, he should be 20, 21. But he's thirty because he, you know, got such a late start into into his his basketball career that he should still have some room, not athletically, not physically, because those things are sort of on the downturn as he's turning thirty and hasn't been able to stay healthy for the the last two years. But he's got some room to grow from a skill perspective, from a you know just court recognition perspective. As as you know, as as solid as he is defensively and as versatile as he is defensively, he can still grow, you know, from a, from a mental aspect in terms of reading the game and, and just get having more experience that, that 6,000 minutes is not, you know, very many for, for a guy who's, you know, about to turn 30. So, you know, he's got room to grow. I think it's something that if you signed him to a two year contract, you could reasonably expect that he is going to be better at age 31 and 32 than he was at, you know, age 28 and 29 as, as good as he was the last couple of years for Atlanta. Yeah. Which is the opposite of what you expect normally, but you, you do a good job laying that out there because he's not the typical, almost 30 year old. Like it'll be his age 30 season. We're about to enter here. But if you could get, if you could get Deadman locked up to a reasonable deal for, you know, two years, maybe three years, it would be okay. You don't want to go four years on a guy like Deadman because of his age. At some point it does matter to some degree that he's um, at the age that he's at. But I mean, it's just such a touching of situation. Like, you know, are you willing to go more than the mid level? Are you more? Are you willing to go into the eight figure per year range for Deadman? Because if he plays the way that he did this year, he is a full blown, fully entrenched starting center in the NBA. Now we could get into rankings, but I mean, are there fifteen centers better than the league? Are there twenty centers better than the league? I don't think there. It's definitely not more than. I mean, it's not. It's not less than that. But it's just, you know. Is this real? Is he going to shoot 38% from three again for a full season? Is this whole package going to be the way that it is? Because if you knew that it was, he's an eight-figure player, and that is um, significant. Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing is is just the injuries and how available is he going to be, even if he is this kind of player, but you can only get you know 65 of the 82 games out of him. That seems like a problem. You know, that's that's a that's a bigger problem than even the fact that he's about to turn 30. Is just that. He hasn't been able to stay healthy in these in these two career years in Atlanta, and it's just a lot of lingering, you know, smaller things. It's an ankle here or whatever, and it's just it's a. I think it's that's that that would be the biggest thing for me is not necessarily can he keep up this production because we've seen over the last couple of years that he's a legitimate three point shooter. You can watch him shoot. You can look at his footwork and look at his mechanics and and realize like this guy can really can shoot the ball. So I don't. I'm not as worried about that as I am just like, is this guy going to be able to be on the floor for us? If we, if he hit, if he gets, if he hits an injury at the wrong time and we're trying to have him be our starting center in the playoffs, if I'm a, you know, if I'm another team and I'm thinking about that, I I can't be confident that he's going to be available 
you know, in, in April, May, and June. And so that, that dampens his value, you know, pretty significantly over somebody else who is maybe has a worse package of skills, but more durability. Yeah, there's that. And there's something that we talked about a lot in this form and other places is just the, the value of the center position. And we don't, we don't have to go too, too deep into that right now, but it does, it, it's a factor when the replacement level at center is so low that, you know, paying centers and drafting centers in the lottery, for instance, is something that I'm not interested in really doing. Demon, because he checks all these boxes and because he fits so well with Collins, it's really a situation where I'd probably be willing to pay him a little bit more for Atlanta than I would be for a lot of other teams. But it is a factor just to say that, you know, we, you and I, I know we'll kind of agree on this and I'll let you talk about it in a second. Wings are what you want to invest in and forwards. Um, center, you got to be elite to get paid like you're elite. Um, and as we saw with Alex Lynn, like I got killed over the summer last summer for saying the Alex Lynn deal was fine or even, or even good. Uh, people were saying that that was like a, a this vast overpay at four and a half million dollars a year for Alex Lynn. And, you know, I understood that to some degree. Devin is, be- Devin is better than Lynn, but it's a situation where like if the Hawks signed him to a deal that was, you know, nine or $10 million a year, people would pan it. Some people would at least based almost solely on the fact that centers are, in some people's minds, a dime a dozen. And Deadman is different because he can shoot it like he can, but I also understand both both points of view just to say that the scarcity there is, is non-existent. Like, centers are just everywhere. You can get them for any price, and that kind of helps to dampen his market a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the biggest thing. You, I mean, you, you even just look at last year's market, and, and this year's market should be more open. There's going to be a lot more teams with money. There's going to be a lot more guys who need to get paid, so how that works out is going to be interesting. But you look at, you know, you look at Brooke Lopez, who took $3.4 million for, to, to play for Milwaukee. <laughs> Which is just still so insane, given what he's yeah. been doing. But I, I mean, get of it. course, that, that was an insane one. But, like, that's part, of, that's part of the market, you know, and that's part of the market for centers who – before this year where we weren't sure that Brooke Lopez was like an elite shooter. Now we know, but we weren't, we didn't know that absolutely coming out of last year. And you know, that's sort of where we are with Deadman a little bit is like, he's probably a pretty, he's probably an elite shooter for a, for a center, but we're not a hundred percent sure he can be, you know, what Brooke Lopez was for the bucks this year. So, you know, it's, it's, that's, you know, it's, it, I would not, I don't expect him to to take a three point four million dollar contract somewhere because there's going to be more money and and his his you know his value should be higher than that. But that that sort of deal sort of dampens his market and sort of teams can point to that and see and say to themselves we can find somebody who doesn't want ten million dollars and would be happy to play for four or five million dollars who could be a reasonable facsimile and might have some more upside than Dwayne. And it's just that's that's the those are the sorts of negative market effects that he's going to to face as he goes into to his free agency this summer. Yeah, I mean, there's such a it's it's a really interesting thing, and I kind of wish it wasn't a Hawks thing because it's almost this like it's almost an experiment, and I feel bad for saying that that way because it's someone's livelihood, and I hope Dwayne gets a lot of money because he's earned it, and he's a he's a fun guy. I really enjoyed Dwayne Evans in a lot of different ways. I just don't know what he's going to sign for. I mean, if you told me he would sign a deal that paid him at $10 million a year, I would kind of nod. And if you said this, the market squeezes him and he gets $4 million a year, I wouldn't be that surprised. And that's a huge swing. And if it's $4 million and he signs somewhere else, I will be panning the Hawks for not signing him. But if he gets $10 million somewhere else and the Hawks say that's too much for us, I understand that because 
of all the factors that we just laid out. So really interesting situation for him. But, you know, big picture as we look backwards on this player review podcast that's going to be, I know we're looking ahead a lot, but, you know, he was just really good this year on a permanent basis, on an overall basis. You know, he didn't play 80 games, but aside from that, there's not really much you can criticize. He was really good and better than advertised. And, you know, in retrospect, he, he certainly outperformed his contract the, the last two seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's where the Hawks draw the line as like that's too much money might have more to do with years than total dollars. You know, I think if he if he if he had the option or if they had the option between two years and twenty million dollars total or one year and like twelve and a half million, I think they'd probably rather give him the twelve and a half. Um, you know, just for next year. And then they've got his bird rights the year after that. And, you know, they can, they can figure it out from there. But I think that would be, that would be something that they would probably be, probably be more amenable to a a larger number over the shorter term. You can figure out how, you know, what you're going to do with the center position long-term. You can see how Collins develops, whether he's going to be a four or five long-term. You can put those guys together again. The the continuity for Trey, the continuity for, for John would be good. So I think that's, that's where they should be coming at this. You know, if it's if he gets a, a three or four year offer from another team, unless the money is just ridiculously low, I think that would be, you know, where I would probably let him let him go if I were the Hawks. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to sort of gauge that, and it's you know it's always tough to know what a what a guy's going to be offered until we get there because we don't have, you know, a lot of these deals are discussed widely before July first, but we don't always hear about them, of course. So. Plenty to discuss on that, but uh, Deadman has been a, a pleasure to watch and cover the last two years, especially this year when he had something of a even bigger breakout than I did the year before. So shouts to him, and it was uh, it's been fun, and I definitely just personally wish him the best. I hope he gets make I hope he makes a lot of money. As I, I wish all these guys that are hitting free agency make a lot of money because that's kind of what you know the players are underpaid generally. <laughs> as crazy as that is, players are underpaid, not overpaid. Yeah, so. I mean pretty much across the board. The you know the. The guys on rookie sale contracts are always underpaid. Oh, yes. The, the guys who – some of the guys on super-duper max contracts are underpaid. Like if you – you know, LeBron is, of course, underpaid. But, like, there's just a lot of, of – across the board just because of the way the salary cap works and because of, of the way you know, just in general the, the labor market is, especially for centers, for, for Dwayne in, in particular, you know, those guys – have a tendency to get underpaid. And so I hope he, I hope he can really cash in on something in the eight figure range, but uh, I'm, I'm skeptical that that, that might not be out there for him. Yeah, we will definitely see. Uh, all right, Jeff, we've, we've gone plenty on these four guys. We have, I guess, nine more players to discuss in the near future, but so please stay tuned for that, everybody. But uh, for now, that'll do it for this episode. Please, Jeff, plug yourself. You have a lot coming up. It's almost Jeff Siegel season as we approach the summer, but you have a lot going on now with, with, with the playoffs, and uh, I think you're busier than I am right now, and I have like six jobs. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. I write for Dime Magazine at, at uh, uprocks.com with, hey, with Mr. Roland as well. <laughs> um I write for the the Basketball Writers, which is a, a subscription based service that you can you can sort of subscribe to. A, there's probably eight or nine of us who all write for for the Basketball Writers, plus some contractors and stuff like that. So there's a bunch of of good content over there. They do more, you know, from a subscription based product. They do more stuff that is future facing and is not necessarily like game recaps or anything like that, but is much more high level analysis. And, and that's why, you know, that's why I really like their, their stuff. And that's why I joined up with them. You can obviously see the, the Hawk stuff and, and draft stuff coming up for, for Peachtree hoops and uh, early bird rights is, is the place to go for all your off season needs for all the, the free agency stuff. I'm working on my, my 2019, 20 caps cap sheets 
this week and and moving forward as as we get closer to 2019 free agency. I've got some some cool stuff coming up there. So if you're ever interested in the the financial side of how teams you know build out their rosters, that's uh, Early Bird Rights is is the place for you on that front. Yep, earlybirdrights.com is a absolute must coming up, and it's always worth checking out, honestly, because there's always valuable resources there. But uh, thank you, Jeff. You'll be back very, very soon on the pod. People, I think, know your work that are that are and long-time, long-time listeners of this podcast. But I, I hope I have some new listeners. So uh, check out check out Jeff's stuff. Check out this podcast. Please subscribe to this show. It'd be huge if you would leave positive feedback, five star reviews on whichever podcast player you're listening to. And uh, we'll be back again later in the week. So stay tuned for that.